Femoral is a production of iHeart 3D Audio. For full exposure, listen with headphones. It's officially that time of year when it's impossible to miss the decorations going up in display windows, jingles trumpeting from department store speakers, and classic Christmas specials dancing across the TV. Somewhere along the way, you're almost guaranteed to run into a Rankin-Bass production. You know them, the retro stop animated sing-alongs from the 1960s, such as Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. He's got a shiny nose. Shiny? I'd even say it glow. Frosty the Snowman. Happy birthday! That hat brought Frosty to life. It must be magic. Or the little drummer boy. Sir Bobby, the little drummer boy, Aaron. Are, are those animals dancing, Ben Harriman? They certainly are. But what you maybe don't know is that one man was responsible for creating and writing each of those holiday favorites, and many more. His name was Romeo Muller, and his impact on the modern myth of Christmas is unparalleled. He was like a a real Santa Claus. And I became really close friends with his brother, Gene, who wanted to see his legacy live on. And I've tried to do that in my books. I always donate time to Romeo because he was the basis of every special. You have to have good writing for these to have the longevity that they have. My name is Rick Goldschmidt, and I'm the official Rankin-Bass historian, biographer, and I've written six books about Arthur Rankin and Jules Bass, and work on a lot of the projects associated with the classic TV holiday specials like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, The Little Drummer Boy, etc. While Rankin-Bass is primarily known for their iconic holiday specials, they also produced a number of other influential works that don't get mentioned as often. They're also known for The Hobbit. Gandalf! Halt! I would speak with the kings. Dread has come upon you all. An army of goblins with claim to the treasure comes from the north. Behold! Thundercats. I could probably handle them myself. Snarf, snarf, Lino, no, please, call the other Thundercats. Thunder, 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 Thundercats, ho! Silverhawks. Let the moon star shine into my cell, and you will be rewarded with wealth beyond wealth. Forget it, Monstar. We know exactly what will happen if you ever see the moon star again. A lot of Saturday morning television, like the Jackson 5 show. You see, I'm Michael Jackson, and a couple of years ago, me and my big brothers, Marlon, Jermaine, Tito, and Jackson, lived kind of square and quiet back home in Gary, Indiana. And one day, Miss Diana Ross herself came to town to sing a concert. And the Osmond show. Ah, Jimmy, you know Mom and Dad don't want you to do these late concerts. Hey, we better take him back to the hotel. Yeah, but we'll never get through that mob of fans out there. 
and some feature films like King Kong Escapes. The Last Unicorn. I tell you, there is one unicorn left in the world. And as long as it lives in this forest, we'll find no game to hunt here. Mad Monster Party. It's a come-as-you-are party that's out of this world. You don't get invited. You get committed. It's a sickadillic scary. With the grooviest ghouls of all time. They were in business for about 30 years and produced some of the most memorable, especially holiday entertainment, which is still on the networks today. It's been over 50 years, actually over 55 years now. So they have a longevity that most animation studios don't have. To become a production company's sole biographer is no small undertaking. We asked Rick what drew him to the Rankin-Bass specials and what he loves about them. The thing that attracted me to Rankin-Bass was the look of everything, because I'm an artist, an illustrator. So first and foremost, for me, it was always the look of the puppets and the look of the cell animation. As a musician, I also love the music of Maury Laws and the arrangements, which are always so happy and upbeat, very holiday-ish, you know, with glockenspiels and all kinds of fun accents uh, to their music. And Jules Bass wrote the lyrics to all of the great songs like The Heat Miser and Snow Miser. Put one foot in front of the other. Put one foot in front of the other. And soon you'll be walking across the floor. There's a lot of classic Christmas songs that came out of the Rankin Bass specials as well. But for them to last this long, you have to have good writing. Most of the time it was Romeo Muller who wrote with a lot of heart and warmth. Theater 5 has presented Toby's Wonderful Egg, written by Romeo Muller, produced and directed by Ted Bell. In the cast, John McGovern, Betty Gard, Robert Dryden. Romeo Muller had a storied career that made him a perfect fit for Rankin-Bass. Well, Romeo Muller was a writer out of the New York area, High Falls, New York, and wrote for a lot of the great comedians of the early days of uh, television, like Jack Benny. I would like to tell you one joke. This about two drunks that were standing at a bar, and one drunk said to the other, you know what I got for my wife the other day? The other drunk said, no, what did you get for your wife the other day? So the first drunk said, a poodle. So this other drunk (laughs) said, I wish I could make a trade like that. That's the end of the joke. And uh, Red Skelton. Everybody's so nice here. Since I've been in town, they, they, they can't seem to do enough for me. They gave me a big car to drive around, a big Rolls Royce. My wife says, let me drive that thing. I can stop it on a dime. She did. <laughs> he also wrote plays. Who would have thought that kindly old Dr. Sedgwick 
was in reality a mad scientist. That's strictly off the record, you understand. I won't print a thing. But uh, you said you'd worked out a plan to destroy Superman. Max, Max, Max. Good guy's plan. Bad guy's scheme. So he had a great knowledge of how to put a story together. And he was actually hired by Arthur Rankin for the first Rankin-Bass television special, Return to Oz. Toto, do you remember Oz? (laughs) That wonderful land we went to? Far, far away. Halfway to yesterday and back. (laughs) Return to Oz was like the first time that the Wizard of Oz was revisited that there was any type of sequel to the original MGM movie, which was being shown every year on television. So they thought that would be a huge hit, you know, because of the longevity of The Wizard of Oz. But his second script was Rudolph, the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer had a very shiny nose. And if you ever saw it, you would even say it blows. A lot of people don't realize that the storybook written by Robert L. May and the song written by his brother-in-law, Johnny Marks, just had basically a germ of a story. <laughs> you know, there was this reindeer with a red nose that everybody made fun of, and, you know, Santa asked him to pull his sleigh. That was it. So Romeo wrote, Hermie the dentist. I just don't like to make toys. Hermie doesn't like to make toys. Hermie doesn't like to make toys. Someday I'd like to be a a dentist. A dentist? Yukon Cornelius. Hey, you got frostbit that away. Who are you? Who am I? The name's Yukon Cornelius. The greatest prospector in the north! The Island of Misfit Toys. I'm the official sentry of the Island of Misfit Toys. A jack-in-the-box for a sentry? Yes, my name is... Don't tell me. Jack. No, Charlie. That's why I'm a misfit toy. My name is all wrong. No child wants to play with a Charlie in the box, so I had to come here. And he based a lot of the story off of friends and relatives. He had a friend that was named Clarice. Something wrong with your nose. I mean, you talk kind of funny. What's so funny about the way I talk? Well, don't get angry. I don't mind. You don't? My name's Clarice. Hi. My name's Rudolph. Hi. Hi. He had another friend that dreamed stories of a monster peeking over cliffs, like the Bumble. Gad, Zeus, the Bumble snow monster of the north strikes again. So he put all of that into his scripts, and he did it in such a way that It draws you in no matter how old you are. You could be a little kid. You could be a grandparent. Everything about it is heartwarming. And you just want to watch these things over and over and over again. So eventually, he went on to write all of these other shows, which were basically based on a song. 
like Santa Claus is coming to town. You better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout, I'm telling you why, Santa Claus is coming to town. And then he would come up with these backstories to the song. In the case of Frosty the Snowman, he put in Professor Hinkle. And so I put the magic eggs into my hat. Abacadabra, to coin the phrase. <laughs> and voila, the eggs have turned into messy, messy, messy. All these things that we associate with the character came from the mind of Romeo Muller. So in that regards, he was a genius. He was like the Stan Lee of the Rankin-Batch universe. You know, he was the writer, and then the designer was Paul Coker Jr. most of the time, who would have been the Jack Kirby of the Marvel universe. So he was a really important ingredient in the whole universe of Rankin-Bass Productions. There's no doubt that Muller is considered one of the first great writers of family-oriented television. We asked Rick what stylistic choices made Muller so iconic. The quintessential Muller is the fact that the main characters usually were the underdog. You know, they either had something wrong with them or they, they felt like they didn't fit in or something that they had to overcome to get to a happy ending. And the villains usually were reformed, which is always more satisfying than if they're just killed off. The villains like the Winter Warlock would you know, see that they were wrong and find a way to help and fit in. A choo-choo. I've always wanted one. <laughs> What's that? My icy heart. It's melting. Well, look, Mr. Warlock. Please, please, call me Winter. Winter? Oh, yes, yes. Suddenly, my whole outlook has changed from bad to good. Great. You know, the people at Pixar early on when they were a company before they were taken over by Disney, they recognized that that was a more satisfying way to tell a story than to kill off a villain. And they mimicked the scripts of Romeo Muller and tried to go for the look of the Rankin-Bass production. So I think that's why the early Pixar films were so successful is they they paid close attention to the script, which doesn't happen today, unfortunately, in today's modern entertainment. All they care about is making money, and it doesn't matter how they make it. But <laughs> Rankin Bass, they were more concerned about the quality of the project. That's why they hired Romeo Muller and stuck with him for so long. And Romeo was a lover of the classic comedies and the classic films. He was a film buff, and he knew what quality was 
from the love and the passion he had for classic film and classic comedy. So it really had that feel to it. You know, everything that Rankin Bass did, very few things were failures. They were all high quality productions with great stories. And, you know, Romeo was a big part of it. Romeo would say that his favorite was The Little Drummer Boy. Well, The Little Drummer Boy is basically the story of what Christmas is all about. My lamb has been injured. You must save him. He is near death. Oh, lad, there is nothing I can do. But, but you are a king. A mortal king only. But there is a king among kings who would save your little friend. The babe? But I do not understand. It is not necessary that you understand. Go to him. But uh, I... I have no gift to bring. Go. Look upon the newborn king. It doesn't get aired as much today, but it had a magical quality to it. I, I remember early on when I was a little kid and I went to CCD, they would tell you to watch it. And I was always wanting to watch it because we used to have little nativity scenes that we were given as gifts. So it was a more common religious type special. Everybody knew that it was, you know, the telling of what Christmas is all about, but we've kind of lost that over the years. And I think Romeo really liked Christmas a lot, you know, and since this was really the telling of Christmas, that would be his favorite special. And it's a lot of people's favorite special. And what surprised me about it was the song, One Star in the Night, was written by Jules Bass and Maury Laws. And Maury told me that it was some music that they had written prior to the special, not particularly for the special. And when you watch it, it seems like it's some kind of a classic song that would have been written a hundred years before that special. It has that quality to it that it seems like a traditional Christmas song, but they actually wrote it. Romeo Muller is still best known for his Rankin-Bass contributions. But when he eventually moved on, he continued to write on other beloved programs. Even after Rankin-Bass, he wrote Strawberry Shortcake. <laughs> You're just in time. Strawberry Shortcake and all her friends are getting ready for their first annual garden party. A celebration of the most fragrantly delicious berries in the whole world. In the Little Rascals Christmas special. We all live up at the North Pole. Believe it or not, these are elves. Ho, ho, ho. Ah, oh, this is just the swellest Christmas ever. One of his last films, post-Rankin Bass, was called Noel. And it was a special one, not to mention 
my personal childhood favorite. My name is Noelle, and I have a happiness. It came out in the form of a kid's children's book and was about an ornament. <laughs> Here's a good spot for you, little fella. It's been years since I watched it, but I know that he went on radio and he also went into actual schools and told the story every Christmas. It was like a tradition for him to tell the story of Noel in the New York High Falls area. What's happening now, Brutus? It's become a thing called Christmas Eve. The reason you were made and I was born. It feels like magic. As Rick briefly mentioned, Muller loved to read his stories on radio. But he never voiced any of his characters in the Rankin-Bass specials. However, he did appear in other places. I know he made a cameo appearance in uh, Marco, which is a 1973 movie starring Zero Mostel and Desi Arnaz Jr. At the beginning of the film, Desi Arnaz is flying on a kite and Romeo's running underneath in a uh, costume yelling at the kite. Yeah, yeah, pay attention to the dragon. <laughs> so it was kind of neat that he made a little cameo in the movie. Romeo Muller's relationship with Rankin-Bass would get complicated after he left the company. When Romeo branched out and started writing other shows for other producers and other television things, like the Little Rascals Christmas special, he started talking about how he created the Rankin-Bass holiday specials. And for some reason, that caused a bit of friction with Arthur Rankin. He felt like Romeo was taking too much credit and there was sort of a, a fallout with Rankin-Bass Productions. But when I wrote my first book, The Enchanted World of Rankin-Bass, and early on when I contacted Arthur Rankin, he had called me right after he went to Romeo's memorial. And I think they patched things up before he passed. He was an important person to Arthur on a personal level, too. But as you work with someone for a long time, you know, you could have a falling out at some point. And that's what happened. Romeo Muller died on Wednesday, December 30th, 1992, leaving behind an unfinished film project. It was called the 12 Days of Christmas. One partridge, two turtle doves, three French hens, four calling birds, five golden rings, six geese a-lang, seven swans a-swimming. By my sword, Princess Silverbell has some strange desires. And there was some business partner involved with that, and that was released, and that caused uh, a lot of friction between his brother, Gene, and the producer of that. 
and they never got their money from it either. So it was like a kind of a bad ending to what was always a, a very positive life for Romeo. By the time Rick started writing about Rankin-Bass, Muller had already passed away. But Rick did get to meet Romeo's brother, Gene Muller. I wish I could have talked to Romeo, but I was glad I developed a friendship with Gene. Gene gave me everything. He gave me Romeo's scrapbooks. He gave me um, all the records that he had. He really opened up Romeo's archives to me when I wrote my books. So I'm grateful for that. Throughout his many books, Rick has painted a vivid picture of Romeo Muller's life and the greater impact he had on storytelling in America. We asked Rick what he sees as Muller's greatest legacy. Overall, Romeo created classic television, but it goes beyond that. It's become part of the Christmas holiday or the Easter holiday or whatever holiday the specials were written for. We're only talking about a few Christmas specials in this day and age. The only ones that have survived besides the Rankin-Bass holiday specials that Romeo wrote are How the Grinch Stole Christmas and A Charlie Brown Christmas. And that's basically it. And Rankin-Bass Productions holds more of that pie because they were successful with several television specials and all of them were written by Romeo. So when you look at the grand scheme of the entertainment industry over the last 75 years, we're still talking about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Frosty the Snowman. There's several Rankin-Bass specials that Romeo wrote that are favorites of everyone's. And what you see happening now is AMC has a weekend marathon of the specials, and so does Freeform Television, and then they're still on the networks, so you're seeing more exposure of them over time. And I'm sure they'll be streaming, and Blu-ray and DVDs will be getting better, hopefully. <laughs> so. I mean, there's a big market of um, the holiday stuff, and most of it is what Romeo wrote. One special treat for our listeners in Atlanta. The Center for Puppetry Arts has a new exhibit featuring the puppets from the Rankin-Bass specials. Well, sort of. The Santa and Rudolph puppet that they have which actually I helped to restore, and I also appeared with them for several years. They're not the ones that were used in the Rankin-Bass Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer special. What they were created for was for publicity purposes. So in other words, they created a set of puppets that they sent from Japan to New York so that they could take the publicity photos for the NBC holiday uh, General Electric Theater. What they did was they stuck them in a glass case at NBC in the Rockefeller Center in New York. And they had them there for several years. And a lot of people remember seeing them. 
whether they were on school trips or just taking a tour of NBC. But to this day, I haven't found a photo of that display. So I don't know exactly what puppets were in there, but I have a feeling they're the ones that were only featured in the publicity photos. And there was only a handful of those. All of these puppets have had some wild adventures, being passed around over the years without much of a record. All in all, the publicity puppets are lucky to have survived. And there's a wild story behind the fate of the puppets used on screen. I know everyone involved with these two particular puppets. I know Barbara Adams, who was the secretary that took them home, and then she gave them to her nephew. And some of them were in the attic and got, you know, melted together. And they, they had to get rid of them because they were no good anymore. So Santa and Rudolph were the only two that survived out of that batch. And I know the people that bought them from the nephew, and I helped restore them. Like I said, I know the people that restored them. <laughs> so these two puppets have a history, but the really interesting history are the ones that were used in the actual specials. Some of them are in, in the U.S. I used to own two from the first Christmas. You know, I had all their eyes and mouths and you could tell they were the actual puppets that were used in the animation. But most of those stayed in, in Japan. They still have King Kong, It from Mad Monster Party in this Tad Moshinaga exhibit. And they have other puppets like from Willie McBean and his Magic Machine and all kinds of rare Rankin-Bass puppets. I would say 95% of the puppets stayed in Japan and 5% came to the States for one reason or another. Arthur Rankin wanted them to give to somebody or just to put in the office. And those are the ones that, that I've appeared with. Like I've appeared with uh, Red Skelton from Rudolph's Shiny New Year, Father Time. For the passing of time is awe-inspiring. It's the one certain thing in all the universe. In a way, it's like an old king stepping down and a new one taking its place. Smokey the Bear from the Ballad of Smokey the Bear. Smokey started out by being just a normal bear. Young and happy, playing games, he never had a care. Mama used to worry that his friendly, trusting way would get him into trouble. So she said to me one day, Big Bear, she said, now listen, Sonny's young and free as air, so try to keep an eye on him. He needs his brother bear. When I said, Mom, don't worry, just leave it all to me, I never thought our simple life would change so suddenly. I've had him at shows, so there's only a few that are in the U.S., but most of them are in Japan still. You can find a selection of surviving puppets now at the Center for Puppetry Arts. Rick says he hopes the exhibit will help keep the spirit of the Rankin-Bass specials alive for years to come. See, the focus at the museum over the years has been on Rudolph. They do a puppet show every year, like a marionette show that's been successful for them for a long time. So the focus is just on Rudolph, not so much the enchanted world of Rankin-Bass, but 
Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Rankin Bass's Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And they only have the two puppets, but I think they're going to make a nice display with the images that I gave them and the actual history of them. You know, all the puppets need to be in museums so everyone can see them. They shouldn't be in any private collection, in my opinion. And I'm probably one of the biggest private collectors there is. And I have a lot of things. My home, home is a museum, but I think things like this, you know, puppets that are from iconic TV specials should be in a museum. And I'm, I'm glad the Center for Puppetry Arts has them. This episode of Ephemeral was written and assembled by Trevor Young, produced with Max and Alex Williams, and is dedicated to Romeo Muller. Rick Goldschmidt is the official biographer of Rankin-Bass, and you can find all of his books online or keep up with him at rankinbass.com. And we implore you to check out the new Rudolph exhibit at the Center for Puppetry Arts in Atlanta. Find more on everything you heard here at our website, Ephemeral. That show. To rock the night away. Jingle bell time is a swell time to go gliding in the one horse sleigh.